Hi, this is Stuart Weems and welcome to the Investopoly podcast. My goal is to give you simple, easy to understand strategies, insights and tips to help you master the game of building wealth. And in this episode, I'd like to talk about Bitcoin, billion dollar stocks that don't make any money and all the other madness. Uh, so do you realize that if you invested $10,000 in Bitcoin five years ago, it would be worth somewhere around $1.1, $1.2 million, uh, depending on the day that you sort of measure it. At the same time, you can think about some of the madness that's going on in the share market. So, for example, we all know that the lockdowns around the world have really um, decimated the travel industry, um, and Airbnb certainly hasn't been immune to it. Uh, yet its share price has risen by 40% over the past year and the business is currently worth about $160 billion. Uh, CBA, uh, Commonwealth Bank, is worth just shy of $150 billion. But if you compare the financial results of the two companies, Airbnb lost around about $6 billion uh, in 2020 uh, versus CBA, it makes about $10 billion a year. So how can a company that loses $6 billion be worth more than a company that makes $10 billion? I'll let you sit with that question for a little while. And no doubt people have been asking themselves the same question. You know, is this the new normal? Is cryptocurrency the new big thing? Um, is profit and cash flow no longer important when valuing a, a business or considering an investment opportunity? That's what I'd like to discuss in this podcast. So let's start with cryptocurrency. And I am, uh, by all admission, uh, no expert when it comes to Bitcoin or any sort of cryptocurrency. Uh, in fact, I know very little about it. But then again, I really haven't spent much time researching it because it fails a few basic fundamental tests in my view. So when contemplating investment, I think it's very important to form a view around its future demand. So whether that's a, a business that makes a particular product or an asset, we've got to think about, is there going to be a growing need uh, for this product or this asset? Just because something is currently popular isn't good enough in my view as a long-term investment decision. So then we've got to ask ourselves, who's using cryptocurrency and why? And as far as I can see at the moment, um, virtually all owners of cryptocurrency are, are involved because of pure financial speculation. Very few people are actually using it as a substitution for traditional currencies. And probably the only exception to that might be money launderers or criminals. Dr. Jeff Moore came up with this idea in the 1970s, which he referred to as the diffusion of innovation. Uh, and it really relates to the adoption of technology. Um, and he argues that there's a large chasm between early adopters and early majority. Uh, so that is for you know, something to be adopted and for it to be self-sustainable. And he sort of referred to that as crossing the chasm. Uh, and so uh, for a product to be self-sustainable, particularly a technology product, it needs to cross that chasm from early adopters to early majority 
and then you get the late majority and then the laggards uh, come behind them uh, and then you've then you've dominated the market so I don't think cryptocurrency will cross that chasm for two reasons. Firstly, it's extremely volatile. So the share market's volatility rate is about 20% per annum. So if the long-term mean return is, is close to 10%, then your average on average, your annual return will be plus or minus 20%. So it could be a 10% loss or a 30% gain. It's going to be somewhere within that range. It's quite a big range. And that's why, um, you know, shares are relatively volatile from year to year. You compare that to Bitcoin, its volatility rate is about 50%. <laughs> so I don't know what the average return is, but, it, you know, it's plus or minus. Maybe you could make 50% or lose 50%. It's pretty volatile. Its daily uh, volatility rate is about 3%. So therefore, if you agree to buy some goods and use Bitcoin as a mechanism to pay for it. Seven days later, if we're looking at a volatility rate of 3%, those goods could end up costing you 20% more. I mean, how can you use a currency or how can a currency achieve wide adoption uh, with that sort of volatility rate? Uh, it's just never going to attract it. I mean, you could say, okay, when everyone adopts it, adopts it, it'll be less volatile, but it needs to get there first. You need to build that scale a traditional currency will have a volatility rate of four to five percent and that's really what it needs to be to really uh achieve that um that outlook uh putting that aside for a second my biggest concern and the second of the two reasons why i don't think it will cross that chasm uh is that uh one of cryptocurrency selling points is its anonymity you know the fact that you can hold the cryptocurrency without actually revealing anything about your identity. Uh, now, that just makes it a perfect exchange mechanism for criminals, really. Um, and if it did achieve wide adoption, I'd imagine governments around the world are, are going to face problems with operating their, their traditional sort of tax surveillance activities and, and policing criminal activity. And I think if that occurred, governments would just turn around and start regulating uh, cryptocurrencies in the same way that they regulate their traditional currencies, thereby negating, uh, you know, the benefit in the first place of an alternative currency. So I think those two things, government and the fact that it's uh, volatile, it just won't cross that chasm. Now, if you're going to invest in an asset, you want to invest in an asset that has applications beyond wealth accumulation. So to use an analogy, for example, if you're going to invest in property, you want to invest in a location and type of property that is attractive or probably more attractive to own occupiers than it is investors. That way, if for any reason the investor market dries up, the demand will stay largely intact for that property and your investment will work. I mean, you couldn't imagine uh, just buying property that only appealed to investors and actually didn't appeal to own occupiers. That just wouldn't make sense. So the same is true for cryptocurrency. Why should we buy an asset that is um, essentially a market filled full of pure speculators? And that's why it is so volatile, because no one is actually using it for its advertised purpose. And so therefore, in my mind, you're not investing. It's absolute pure speculation, or maybe we could just rename it and call it gambling. So if you're going to indulge in some pure speculation, only do so with money that you can afford to lose. Of course, looking back now, um, 
uh, we would say, oh, well, I should have invested $10,000 five years ago because I'd be sitting on over a million dollars. Well, I could walk through a casino and say I should have bet black three times in a row um, because I would have achieved the same result, uh, financial result. Uh, there's always, we're always going to be wiser in, in hindsight, uh, 2020 vision, um, but that's not really investing. That's, uh, that's crystal ball gazing and no one knows what's going to happen and, and you've got just as much chance of winning at a casino as you do um, uh, investing in something that doesn't have any fundamentals. It's not a repeatable strategy and it's not a strategy just as um, going to the casino is also not a, a wealth accumulation strategy. So let's turn our mind then to tech valuations and my example of Airbnb. Uh, a company that's losing billions of dollars and and why would it be um, valued so much? Well, I, when writing this blog and podcast, I was reminiscing about 10 years ago, um, a, a situation where I was contemplating a private equity investment for, you know, on behalf of some of my clients. Uh, a private equity means it's an unlisted business and typically a startup business. Uh, anyway, the investment banker that was trying to sell this opportunity to me uh, suggested to me that you can't value tech companies the same way as you value traditional companies, Stuart. You should know that. And, and he's kind of suggesting that profitability didn't matter, that scale only mattered, that unit users, the number of users only mattered. And that's the key sort of valuation metric. Anyway, I declined the investment opportunity, thought it didn't make a lot of sense. Uh, and uh, five years after that conversation, that business was uh, in liquidation. It didn't work and all the investors lost their money. You may or may not know, but prior to starting ProSolution back in 2002, so nearly 19 years ago, um, I worked for Deloitte and I used to prepare business valuations for listed companies. Uh, and it's, I can tell you it's widely accepted that the value of a company is equal to its present value of future cash flows. So really, if a company is going to give me $100 a year for the next 10 years, uh, then it's worth $1,000, but we have to discount that back in today's dollars, so maybe it's worth eight or $900. And if, if a business has no future cash flow, so if it's not going to give me any money over 10 years, then arguably, technically, the, the business's value is zero. Uh, of course, if it has other assets like patents or some sort of intellectual property, software, so forth, of course, it could have value. But just generally, it's really about the future cash flows. Now, um, the market gets very excited about the opportunities for some businesses like Amazon and Zoom and Tesla and so forth. But we, we have to remind ourselves that the market can be wrong and is often wrong. Uh, if we think back to year 2000, uh, and I was certainly um, in financial services in the year 2000 at the height of the dot-com bubble, um, it was a universally held view that US tech company Cisco Systems was going to be the first listed company to reach a trillion dollar valuation. And in fact, if you Google 2000 Cisco Systems trillion dollar company, you'll see a few articles written by Wired Magazine and so forth that suggest that's going to be the case. Um, and they predicted that it would reach that trillion dollar valuation within the next 10 to 15 years, so 2010, 2015. At the time, Cisco's market cap or value was around about 500 billion US dollars. So fast forward a couple of decades later, so today, 
Cisco's market cap is uh, around just under 200 billion US dollars. The market was completely wrong by a factor of five. And I think it really serves as a, as a good reminder that in the midst of it, um, all the evidence and all the views seem rather, rather compelling, but we have to remind ourselves that um, most of those views will fill your ears, but not your pockets. So to suggest that tech companies uh, should attract different valuation methodologies, to my mind, is absolute nonsense. Uh, there's certain fundamentals that any business must possess in order to be an investment-grade business, and that's one that you can invest in today and hold for the long term. And really, that's around predictable and stable cash flows, strong profitability, a solid balance sheet, and really a history of either reinvesting profits or paying dividends. But either way, they've got to be doing something uh, meaningful with their free cash flow. To my mind, these metrics apply to all industries. They always have and they always will. So if we return back to the question then, why is Airbnb valued at $160 billion? And it's not the only sort of non-profitable company with an insane valuation. There's lots of them. There's Tesla and Afterpay and the list is long. And I don't really know the answer to the question, of course. There could be a few reasons for it, though. Firstly, there's been a massive influx of novice investors around the world. So that's first-time retail investors opening up um, share trading accounts and putting their money to work. Uh, and it's been suggested that maybe the reason for that is that you know people, uh, that casinos are closed, people are sitting at home and sort of work from home, They've, they're a bit bored and they want to do something fun with their money. Uh, the, the problem is that the rest of the professional traders know that this is going on and, and they sometimes uh, take advantage of that. Secondly, low interest rates can entice investors to misprice risk. So that is, they, they, they ignore risk and they just go for returns and that can skew um, performance in, in stock markets. Uh, and thirdly, the work from home trend certainly has made that tech sector really popular. Uh, and and arguably over popular. Irrespective of the answer, really at the end of the day, if you're going to invest in a stock or any asset for that matter that has no fundamentals, then your success lies in timing of that investment. You need to get in while it's still popular and enjoy the rising prices, but you need to get out before it crashes. Popularity is fleeting and it can change overnight whereas fundamentals persist for the long run. Now, if that doesn't suit your risk profile, then I'd probably suggest that you should start investing and stop speculating. In summary, the reality is that investment fads come and go. They always have, there's always going to be assets or asset classes that promise better than average returns. However, in the long run, the true rewards go to the investments that ignore the shiny objects stick with a fundamentally sound approach for the long run. Popularity is a wonderful driver in the short run, but unfortunately it never lasts. As I said, only fundamentals do. And fundamentals will, once again, one day, become popular again. That's it for me this week. As I keep asking, if you enjoy the podcast, please leave a rating wherever you listen to it. Please share with any family and friends that also might enjoy it. And until next week, bye for now.